Well, good morning and welcome to Great Hills Baptist Church. So delighted to have you join in with us today from the comfort of your home or wherever you may be. My name is Danny Forshee. I serve as the pastor here at Great Hills. And uh, again, such a delight and a pleasure to have you join in uh, with us today. Many of you are watching us on our YouTube channel through our uh, Great Hills Baptist Church website. And many others are watching through Facebook. And so if you are on Facebook, click your share button now. And that will, uh, that will alert many people to know that you are worshiping the Lord with us. And who knows, it may encourage them to tune us in uh, as well. Of course, like uh, most people in the world, all over the world are dealing with this pandemic here in the great state of Texas, it's no different for us. The COVID-19 uh, coronavirus has wreaked havoc upon the world. And that's why we are broadcasting from the church in an empty uh, sanctuary. We are hoping, as Governor Abbott has uh, given us the, the, the green light, if you will, to go ahead and start coming into the worship services. And we will do that. It'll take us a few weeks uh, before we are uh, prepared because uh, along with his statement of, yes, you can go to church, uh, there was a lot of uh, requirements and stipulations that we're going to have to uh, enact in order to make sure everybody's safe. And so just keep being patient with us. And Great Hills, let me just tell you how much I appreciate you. God is just He's doing amazing things through you as you pray, as you serve in, in the ways that you can, and as you give your tithes and your offerings. It truly is amazing the things that we're seeing God do in Austin, Texas, through the ministry, through the life uh, of our dear church. For example, um, we will feed like 525 people a free meal. And these are people, most of them are, are working in the healthcare industry, which is fantastic. We're also going to give over 900 uh, gift, I'm calling them care packages. What we've done is we've, we've bought some cups. Some of them are really nice big cups. Others are a little smaller. They have Great Hills Baptist Church on them and we're stuffing them with candy, uh, with coffee, with a handwritten note. And we're already hearing back from people uh, who work in the grocery stores and the other areas around our church. And they are just so appreciative, so thankful that we are just taking this initiative to love on our community to say, hey, we see you, we love you, we thank you for being, you know, on the front lines. And so um, God bless you. Thank you so much, Great Hills. I love you. I love being your pastor. Can you believe it? Almost 10 years now. And so we praise God for all that he has done, is doing, and will do. So we are in a study uh, called What's After ATX. And many churches, many pastors, along with us here at Great Hills, we are participating uh, in this series of messages, in this concentrated study on uh, the afterlife, on heaven and hell, and what does the Bible have to say uh, about uh, what happens when, you know, when we die. Many of us in the connect groups here at Great Hills are studying uh, the same text or at least similar in topic to what I'm preaching on here uh, in church. And so that's, that's from 9.30 to 10.30. And if you'd love to be in one of those groups, you can send us an email at info at ghbc.org and we can help get you connected in one of the student groups, uh, single adult groups, married groups. Uh, we would love to have you join in with us and study uh, with a small group as I'm preaching on this text here. Uh, in our church. So here we are today, we're preaching on uh, the doctrine, the subject of hell. You say, now why in the world would anybody 
preach on such a controversial, uh, difficult, unnerving subject like hell? Well, I'm going to give you some reasons. Number one, it's very biblical. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament affirm the doctrine of the afterlife, the doctrines of heaven uh, and hell. In fact, Jesus, he mentions it uh, 15 times. Uh, He mentions hell of the 23 times that this doctrine is mentioned in the New Testament. Number two, this subject is very, uh, what I'd call practical. Believing in the afterlife directly affects the way you live uh, this life. Uh, For example, if you do not believe Jesus and the Bible and you don't think there is any heaven, any hell, any afterlife, then your life will match that. You will have a hedonistic, you know, lifestyle. Let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and that is it. However, if you believe Christ, you believe the Old and the New Testaments that uh, God does love us, God has a plan for us, He has a heaven for us that He has created, And there's also a a hell which he created for the devil and the fallen angels. And we have a choice. And the decision that we make here on this life directly impacts where we will spend our afterlife. And so I call it a very practical doctrine. Number three, uh, it's very evangelical and very uh, missional. And what I mean by that is if it is true and we believe that it is true, then how should we as Christians treat this doctrine? So what we should be doing is telling everybody that we can, that there is hope, that that God loves them to avoid this place called hell, which is isolation, which is darkness, which is forever separated from God and from everything that is good and just and pure and loving. And so what we should be doing is having this evangelical, missional, evangelistic thrust about us as Christians saying, hey, whatever you do, make sure you don't go there. Make sure that you go to heaven. You say, well, how can I know? How can I know I can go to heaven and miss hell? That's what we're going to talk about today. And our text is in Luke chapter 16. We're going to read verses 19 through 31. Now, I know this is a controversial and it's a difficult passage of Scripture Uh, the whole topic about heaven and hell and the afterlife. You know, many people have had these near-death experiences and you just saw one uh, a few minutes ago where some of those guys, they did not have a good experience. In fact, what they had is what the Bible would describe as this literal uh, geographical, geometrical place called hell. And that's what we find here uh, in the Bible. You know, last time I mentioned the I guess you could call him famous. He is a famous atheist. His name is Penn Gillette. And uh, he does uh, shows all over the world and especially in Las Vegas. And uh, after one of his shows in Las Vegas, he did have a, a man come up to him. And he had a little uh, pocket New Testament, a Gideon Bible. And he met Penn Gillette and he, he gave him that Bible and began to share about the Lord And it was really interesting, the result, the aftermath. In fact, Penn Jillette went on YouTube and did a YouTube about that experience of that man. Now, by the way, Penn Jillette's an atheist. And this is what he said about Christians, about heaven and hell. I thought this was very fascinating. Quote, I've always said that I don't respect people who do not proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward. 
Well, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming to you, toward you, and you didn't believe it, and the truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this, this whole talk of heaven and hell, whatever, is more important than that, end of quote. Wow. So at the risk of being misunderstood uh, and, and at the risk of, of people being really upset, because again, and I could just ask you, when's the last time have you heard a sermon on hell? I mean, really? When's the last time you took this, this afterlife, this whole doctrine of eternity, when's the last time have you really considered it and took it seriously? Well, our text today, it's a fascinating one. It is told by Jesus Christ. It is a parable and it's a story. It's a example parable. Now, an example parable means this. There's a close correlation between the story and reality. And so there's some powerful truths, powerful lessons here in this parable. So I want to read it to you and I'm going to read it in its entirety. It'll take me a few minutes. It's a great story that Jesus told about the afterlife. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But verse 20 says, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores who laid at his gate. He desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was, Jesus said, that the beggar died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, which is nomenclature or which is code for heaven. And the rich man, he also died and he was buried and being in torments in Hades. Uh, that's the code word for hell. And being in torments in hell, he lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good deeds or good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now... He is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my house, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. That's a code for Old Testament. The law, the writings, the prophets, they have that. Let them hear them. And he said, no, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. That word repent is the most important word in all of the story. That's the key. That is the interpretation key of unlocking what is going on, the truth that is happening in here. It is the doctrine of metanoia. He says, but they would repent. They would turn from their sin and they would avoid this place that I'm in. But verse 31, he said to him, 
If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now, again, this is a parable. And it's also a, what what I said earlier, it's an example parable. Uh, Robert Stein is a great New Testament theologian. He wrote a great book called An Introduction to the Parables of Jesus. And this is what he said. An example parable where the picture part and the reality part, that is the picture or the metaphor is seeking to say they correspond more closely. He also says that these example parables have an imperatival force to them. You say, what in the world is that? It's, it has a imperative to it where there is a clear go and do likewise. So what is the imperatival force? What is the main message of this parable? And by the way, whenever you study parables, and there are many of them that Jesus told, it's always tempting to, uh, to devolve into uh, allegory. And that is a poor hermeneutical approach. That is a poor approach to interpret in the Bible where you used to have allegory where everything represents something else and something else. And, and Dr. Stein and others say, no, just coalesce this. Narrow this down to the one kernel of truth. In this case, what is the one main application? The imperatival, what is the imperative? Here it is. Avoid hell at all costs. That is what Jesus Christ is telling them in this gospel of Luke. That's what he's telling you. That's what he's telling me. And the imperative is avoid hell. You say, well, whoa, that's, that's, that's kind of serious. You're kind of raising your voice. You're kind of excited about this. Yes, I am. And like I said last week, if I really believe this, that there is a place called hell, how could I not be passionate? How could I not want to share with people and tell people, please, at all costs, avoid that place and make sure that you have your reservation uh, in heaven. So here we go. We're going to look at hell today, a message. I have four points from this text that I want to share with you. And again, I, I just welcome you into this study. Now, some of you are watching me today. And you are very suspicious, right? <laughs> you're going, well, number one, I don't really know you. Somebody just invited me and I'm tuning you in. And, and now you're talking about this. Okay, before you turn the computer off, maybe you already have. I'm sorry if you have. Before you turn your television off, just take a deep breath and say, okay, was Jesus telling the truth or not? And basically that's, that's what it boils down to. 15 times, 15 times out of 23, he talks about hell. Was he joking? <laughs> no. Was he lying? No. Was he telling us the truth? And to that, I would say a resounding, unambiguous, unequivocal, yes, yes, he's telling the truth. So humble your heart. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you through the word of God. Number one, I want to tell you that hell really is an actual place a geographical place, uh, geometrically defined. It is a literal, not a figurative. It is a literal place. And verse 23 tells us that. It, it, it's similar to Mark 9, 43, where Jesus refers to hell as a place. He calls it Sheol. It's the place of the unrighteous dead. And the translation is the word Hades, which is synonymous with the Greek word Gehenna. By the way, all these synonyms point to the same place. 
whether you're talking about the place of the departed dead of Sheol or Hades or Gehenna or hell itself, it's talking about the place where people go based on their decision to not repent, not believe in God, reject God, reject the gospel, and it's manifested in their lifestyle, i.e. the rich man. It is a place. The Greek word is topon in verse 28. Uh, Thayer defines topon this way, any portion of space marked off, okay? So hell is not everywhere. People say, well, this is hell on earth. No, no, it's not. Uh, I don't even think that's a very good figurative speech because hell is so much worse than anything we could be experiencing here on earth. So Thayer defines it as a portion of space marked off, like a surrounding space, a place, a village, a city, a district. You say, well, wow, is that's telling the, is that really the truth? I mean, is hell really an actual place? Well, many people say no. And I want to share with you uh, in the next few minutes, just some doctrinal uh, beliefs that people have regarding heaven and hell. And you may find yourself in one of these four camps. And by the way, I would say to you, I don't agree with any of them, but I wanna share them with you because they are very prominent, very very prevalent. I would say probably somewhere between 70 and 80% of theologians today fall into one of these four camps. In other words, they do not believe Jesus. They do not believe the Bible. Number one is universalism. Universalism claims that there is a heaven There is an afterlife and everybody is going there. There is no hell. Um, I've read people who believe this. And and like Rob Bell in his book, Love Wins, he just bluntly states, Jesus was mistaken. He was not right on this. I'm right on this saying that everybody is going to heaven. Jonathan Edwards, for example, would disagree with that. Uh, the great Puritan preacher in the 18th century here in our country. In fact, he wrote a whole sermon called The Justice of God in the Damnation of Sinners. So we can choose. We can choose Rob Bell. We can choose Jonathan Edwards. We can choose whether uh, universalism is correct or it's false. I believe it's false. You know, Jesus put it like this in Matthew 25, 41. He says, hell is a place. And it was not created for you. It was created for the devil and the fallen angels. And then John 3, 18 puts it very vivid when Jesus said, he who believes in him is not condemned. What is he talking about condemnation? What do you mean condemned? Hell. But if you believe, you're not going there. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Jesus is the answer. He's the release. He's the life preserver. He's the key. And as you believe on him, then you miss hell and you go to heaven. You say, well, I don't believe that. That's your choice. Now you and I could sit down and have a cup of coffee and you would just adamantly disagree with me. And you're not really disagreeing with me, but you're disagreeing with Christ and the Bible. Do I hate you because you believe that? No. Do you hate me? No, we, we can agree to disagree. Number two is annihilationism. Annihilationism says that there may be a hell, but don't worry about it because the good people go to heaven and the bad people go there and they are obliterated. They are annihilated. And the people who believe that, like John Stott, somebody I have a lot of respect for, and I've learned a lot from him in his writings in the Church of England. 
he believes in annihilationism, that forever in eternity, people in heaven, there can't be forever people in a place called hell. So they call it annihilationism and, and they just don't believe it. Next is inclusivism. Inclusivism is, is really interesting and it's best described by Carl Rayner, the theologian uh, who says in his book, The Anonymous Christian. He's a Catholic theologian and he says that the Hindus, they worship Jesus in their Hinduism, but they don't know it. The Muslims are really worshiping Jesus in Islam, but they don't really know it. And so there is this anonymity in all of these religions they're sincere in their religious beliefs, and so therefore they are included. But I would disagree with that. And I would disagree based on the Bible, which it says in 1 John 5, 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So you have universalism, you have annihilationism, you got uh, inclusivism. Let me give you one more ism, it's pluralism. Now, pluralism is a lot like universalism and uh, inclusivism, but there's a little bit of a difference. Clark Pinnock, who was a Southern Baptist, not anymore, used to teach at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He said in his book, there is a wideness in God's mercy. No one religion has the monopoly on truth. So it doesn't matter what religious stripe, or belief that you have, all roads are going to eventually lead to heaven. That's the pluralistic mindset. However, you can't hold that mindset and still have a, a biblical mindset. Because what will you do with passages like John 14, 6? When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man goes to the Father but by me, except through me. And then Acts 4, 12 which says there's salvation and there's not salvation in any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So hell, you have an opportunity to believe it exists or it doesn't. And I am pleading with you to believe Christ, to believe Jesus who arose from the dead. He exonerated all of his claims to deity. Jesus Christ, the sinless one, the perfect one who loves you, who died for you and arose from the dead for you is warning you through me, a pastor, a preacher who believes God, loves God, loves his Bible saying, hell is no joke. It is a place. Number two, it's awful. It's an awful place. It's not a place you go hang out and drink beer with the buddies. No. And, and people tell me, well, if hell is real, I'm going to have so many friends with me there, it won't be that bad. It will be that bad because it is a place of torment. The, the Greek word there, bas, baranos, baranos is used in four times in this one passage of scripture that I read. Uh, it says that baranos is a place of, of punishment. It is a place of, of torture. It is a place, uh, is a very painful, painful place. The rich man was in torment, and you read this, but he has all of his cognitive faculties. He has all of his abilities to remember and to reason, but he says, I am in this place called hell. I'm in this place called a place of torment. I think about the apostle Paul, and by the way, the Bible is very consistent in the afterlife that there is a heaven, that there is a hell. And I think that's why this book is the most cherished book in the world. And it's also the most hated book in the world because people don't like this. 
this violates their sense and sensibility. They're like, how could this be? And so what we do is we take the Bible and we put ourselves above the Bible and we project our, what we think is right or wrong on the Bible instead of allowing the Bible to speak to us and tell us truly what's right or what's wrong. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, wow, look at this. Inflaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Speaking of the rich man, I, I want to take just a moment and, and look closely with you at some of, his, um, some of his apparel. I think this is interesting because he lived in great opulence. He lived in selfish uh, extravagance. His outer garments in verse 19, by the way, which were dyed with a purple dye from snails. This was, this was elite. I mean, this was fine linen at its best. And then there's this uh, rare luxury of the bisos. And this is... Tra- I just give you the raw translation in English. It's his underwear. His underwear was made of incredibly fine linen. This was a mark of extravagance and opulence. And then you look at the, the Lazarus. I mean, this guy is dirt poor. He camps out at the rich man's house. He has open wounds where dogs, stray dogs come and lick his sores. I mean, you couldn't get a, a, a bigger contrast between a a rich man who's living in opulence and then this poor beggar. But I want you to hear very, very carefully what I'm about to say next. It's one of the most important things that I could possibly communicate to you from the Bible. The rich man is in hell, not because he's rich. Did you hear me? He is not in hell because he's rich. Lazarus is not in heaven because he's poor. The reason that the rich man died and went to hell is because he never repented. And it was shown in his actions. Remember toward the end of the story in verse 30, he goes, tell my brothers to repent, turn away from their sins so they don't come here. He never did. And it was manifested in his behavior. He would tell you if he was alive, he would say, no, I I never believed in God. I never turned from my sins. I never had faith in the God that created me. And it was shown by the way that I treated this guy. And Lazarus would say, but I did believe in God. I didn't have much here on this earth, but I trusted in God. I did turn from my sins and he went to heaven. That is so incredibly important. And I hope you understand that. The name, by the way, Lazarus, it means God has helped. And God did help him, did he not? He carried this poor beggar uh, into Abraham's bosom, as we already said earlier in verse 22, a place of great blessing where the patriarch Abraham welcomes the people of faith. I have so much research in this sermon. I'm talking about like a whole page here. And I've got so many quotes from theologians, uh, past and present. And I I don't have time to read all that I've studied in the past. I used to share everything that I ever studied and could preach for well over at least an hour. But I would encourage you, if you're you're interested, you you can take our manuscript, my manuscript, you can read it. I have quotes from people like Athanasius. He was my favorite early church father in the third century. 
I have a quote here from John Chrysostom, and I will read this one where he said, let us look up from heaven and let us bow, bow down to the tombs and the coffins of the departed. For the same end awaits us all. And Chrysostom is saying, all of us have to pass this way. All of us will die. The mortality rate is incredibly accurate and it is high. Every person born, they die. Now the, the humanist view, the atheistic view would be, and that is it. Zero, nothing, nada else will happen to you. That is it. But what if they're wrong? What if that's just the beginning? And these people with these near-death experiences are like, look, people, it's, it's life on exponential life, on steroids. Everything is heightened. You understand clearly. How can you do that if you're dead? Well, your soul is alive. And it goes to a place called heaven or it goes to a place called hell. Well, Chrysostom says, let us look at this. And the same necessity of departure will come upon us all. Prepare we then for this expedition, for great is the heat there and great the drought and great the solitude. As we're talking about hell being an awful place. You know, most of us have read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, but he had another work at other works. One of them was called Visions of Heaven and Hell. And in this book, he describes this character, Eponidas, who has a vision of hell and his friend Hobbes is there in hell. Now Hobbes was this erudite, you know, brilliant author who tried to persuade Eponidas to not believe in God. And by the way, he was an evangelist for atheism. Don't believe in God. There is no God. There is no afterlife. Come on, Eponidas, have some brains about you. Be thinking about this. So John Bunyan creates this story where Eponidas sees Hobbes in hell. And this is what Hobbes says. I do confess, I was God's foe on earth and now he is mine in hell. It is that wretched confidence that I had in my own wisdom that has betrayed me now. Wow. Hell is, uh, it's awful. It's real. It's a literal place. Number three, it is, what I've called an always place, meaning it will last for all time and for all eternity. And this is demonstrated to us in verses 26 through 28. Abraham tells the rich man, there is no escape. You cannot get out of here. You cannot leave where you are and come to us, nor can we leave where we are and go on some mission and go to you. By the way, if, you, if you're going to go on a mission, friend, you need to do that now. If there's a friend or somebody you need to tell about Christ, you, you should do that now. You say, well, I, I'll, just, I'll just wait. What if there is no tomorrow? You know, I'm not trying to bully you or bluff you or intimidate you. I'm just saying that, I mean, if you know somebody that is going there, what are you doing to help prevent that? You say, well, they may laugh at me. Let them laugh at you. But what if they turn to Christ? What if they believed and you spend eternity with them in heaven? Verses 27 and 28, he understands the severity of his eternal situation and plight. So he asks for compassion. The rich man says, please send this guy. And I find that very interesting because he still sees Lazarus as his servant. <laughs> Did you see that? 
tell God, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to dip his finger in some cold water and put it on my tongue or go tell him that he needs to go tell my brother. And in his mind, he's, he's still giving orders. He's still superior. And usually that is the attitude of those that don't know God. They're king, they're Lord. Everybody else is a servant, a vassal, subservient to their wishes and to their desires. You don't see that in Lazarus. You see this humble brokenness in his spirit that characterizes the people of God. Humility and brokenness and dependence and say, I trust in you, God. Now, when you become a Christian, you don't check your brains in at the door of the church. No, you still have your cognitive abilities, your rationale, your faculties. Some of the greatest people who ever lived were followers of Christ. And I think about one was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards has been described as colonial America's most prodigious mind. Uh, Perry Harvard from, I mean, uh, Miller, Perry Miller from Harvard University literally described Jonathan Edwards as the greatest mind that colonial America ever produced. Now we had some pretty prodigious minds, right? Think of John Adams, think of Thomas Jefferson. He said, no, it's Jonathan Edwards reading Latin when he was six years of age, graduates from Yale University at the age of 17. (laughs) I graduated from college when I was 17. He graduated from Yale as valedictorian. He had this amazing mind in memory. He was a Puritan pastor, the most famous sermon he ever preached. And it's probably in the top five sermons ever preached. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He preached this with such passion that when people in Connecticut were listening to him preach the sermon, their knuckles literally turned white, thinking that the the pews were going to open up and the ground was going to swallow them. And he preached this message with such passion and compassion. And people, look, all over colonial America, as he would travel and preach this sermon, people would come to Christ in droves. They believe, we don't believe that anymore, do we? No, We're too sophisticated. We're too educated. We know more than God, right? God have mercy on us. God have mercy on us. We don't know more than God. God knows more than us. And he's telling us and he's pleading with us. Look at the word of God. Look at the fact that I created you for fellowship and relationship with me. Don't reject the only true living God. If you do... You do it to your eternal detriment and to your eternal, shall I say it, hell. A place where there's no escape. Yeah, but if I go there, surely, surely God will give me an out. You know, I mean, sure. No. Your money is useless there. Your education will help you none there. The only way you avoid this place is to know God, know who he is. I was thinking about today. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? It's all false. Not a modicum of truth to what I just shared with you. And I thought about that. Jesus wasn't telling the truth. The Bible is a fable, it's a farce. And I just had this thought, I was like, if I'm wrong, 
There is no heaven. There is no hell. And I've spent my life warning people, teaching people. But then I thought, what if I'm right? What if I'm right? What if Jesus is right? And he's pleading with you, come to me. Have faith. Trust in me. And I thought if I'm wrong, I've lived a a decent life. You know, I've helped a lot of people and I preached a lot of sermons. They were all false, but I didn't, you know, I didn't hurt anybody. But if I'm right, and there is a heaven to enjoy and there is a hell to avoid. Friend, I believe with all my heart I am right. Not because of me, something special in me, but because of this holy book that I'm preaching today. Oh, goodness, I've got a lot more uh, information here and a lot less time to do it. So let me just let me just wrap this up. Uh, I do recommend this quote by Charles Darwin and why he why he rejected uh, God and the reason he embraced naturalism and atheism and uh, macro evolution. It's because of this. It's because of this doctrine of hell. He refused to believe it. In fact, he said, if it's true, If Jesus is right, this is Charles Darwin, Gertrude Himmelfarb's biography. If Jesus is right, there is a heaven, there is a hell. Then my brother is in hell. My father is in hell. All my close friends are in hell. Therefore, hell does not exist. How about that for syllogism and logic? I don't like it. Therefore, it must not exist. That is the delusion of the devil. Just because you don't like it does not nullify it. So hell, wow. Awful place, an actual place. It's an everlasting place. But praise God, it is an avoidable place. It is very, very avoidable. I've shared with you the key to interpreting this whole parable is in verse 30. When Abraham says, when when the rich man tells Abraham, but go tell my brothers that they repent, that they turn away from their sin. That is is the key. That is the key in Jesus' day. That is the key in our day. Did did you see the part where he said, but yeah, yeah, but if somebody rose from the dead, If somebody arose from the dead like Lazarus, take him out of heaven, put him back on earth, let him go tell my brothers and all my brothers will believe. Jesus said, no, they won't. No, they will not. And here's how we know this is the truth. There's another man in the Bible named Lazarus. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him from the dead. Some believed because of that. Others whose hearts were already convinced in unbelief, they hated Jesus even more. And they determined to kill him. Because he raised this person from the dead. Phillips Brooks was a phenomenal pastor in the 19th century. He, we know him today because he wrote the famous Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Phillips Brooks gave the greatest definition of preaching that I ever came across when he said, preaching is the communication of truth through your individual personality. Phillips Brooks was dying. He was on his deathbed. 
he would not allow anyone to come see him except one person. He knew he was about to depart into eternity. He said, I do want Bob Ingersoll to come and see me. And Bob Ingersoll came and he, he saw him. And he asked him, he said, uh, he said, Pastor, all your friends, they would love to come and see you. And yet you, you're letting me come see you. Why? And he said, I'm going to tell you why. All my friends, I'll see them again. This is the last time I will ever see you. Isn't that, isn't that weighty? Isn't that powerful? He believed it. I believe it. And I would ask you today, do you believe? That's it. You can be wealthy, you can be poor. You can be from Asia, Africa, America, South America, it does not matter. This is the gospel. The gospel implores you to believe, trust in Christ and say, I, I'm a sinner, God, I, I deserve hell. You're so holy, you're so other, you're so awesome. And I've made all these bad decisions and choices in my life. Lord, would you forgive me? And God says, yes. Yes, I will forgive you right here, right now. Just ask me. You say, wait a minute. It can't be that easy, but it is. You know why it's easy? Because Jesus took the hardness. He took the fall. He died on the cross, paid the price for your sins and mine. He arose from the dead. He, he reaches out to you and says, trust in me, follow me, live for me. And when you die, you go to heaven. You said, but there's Oprah Winfrey's right. Really? Isn't she right? There's got to be other ways, but there's not. If you believe the Bible, I believe the Bible. I believe it to be the truth. And you have a choice. And if you right here, right now would say, I'm trusting Christ and him alone. Praise the Lord. Heaven is your eternal home. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear death, the coronavirus, cancer, or anything. Would you pray with me? I want you to pray this prayer with me as you give your life to Christ today, whoever you are. You, you may be watching in another country. I, I spoke to a lady in a, a whole other continent this week who's been watching and listening to these messages. Right here, right now, just pray this prayer with me. Mean it in your heart. Say, dear God, I know that you love me, but I also know, God, I'm a sinner. I ask your forgiveness. I surrender my life to you. I repent. I believe. I trust in you, Jesus, and you alone for salvation. Amen. And amen. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to hear about your decision. There's a description box there. You can put, I'm probably going to get a few comments about this sermon. <laughs> Some of them are not going to be very nice. But you know what? It's worth it all if you gave your life to Christ. Let us know. Send us a note at info at ghbc.org. Type it in the Facebook bar or the YouTube description box. Let us know so that we can encourage you and pray for you and, and help you along in your walk with God. Again, we're so delighted that you come today to worship the Lord in the comfort of your home. And I'm here at Great Hills Baptist Church, and I am just delighted to be able to share this message with you. It's probably the hardest sermon I've ever preached or ever will preach, but I believe it to be the truth. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And um, now we're going to have some more praise and worship. 
And so just continue to worship the Lord right where you are.